Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daly. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travel to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast wouldn't happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to join us, to become a socio, and to get every interview we produce without adverts and before it goes out on the main feed, plus lots of bonus content, including the chance to put questions to our guests and to me via the monthly Q&A. You will also get bonus content every month, including the audio versions of my regular columns for ESPN. So do please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and join the club and get your family and friends to do so. Maybe even strangers in the street. Love you. Welcome back to the Big Interview Icons series. In this occasion, it's Sir Alex Ferguson. Our guests will help us shine a light on. His name has cropped up time and again in the chats I've had with our guests over the last six years of the Big Interview. Rio Ferdinand once vented his absolute rage at Sir Alex and was fortunate not to be sold from Manchester United as a result. But he never doubted Furious Fergie's genius. Yet there was a flaw to that genius, exposed when he left Manchester United too open in the 2009 and 2011 Champions League final defeats to Barcelona. Rio Ferdinand found the latter defeat particularly embarrassing, and he tells us about it. Terry Gibson tells us about how Sir Alex's arrival at Manchester United was the new broom Old Trafford needed after the lax regime of the extremely suntanned Ron Atkinson. Terry's face didn't fit, but luckily... Wimbledon came calling. Big Alex McLeish relates how his former Aberdeen boss tried to poach him from Manchester United, while the mighty Darren Fletcher provides an amazing insight into a Fergie team talk. He could be unpredictable, but ultimately Fergie exuded a calmness which affected his players and filled them with belief. Finally, in this bountiful Fergie episode, fellow manager Gianluca Viali speaks of what an inspiration Sir Alex was and shares with us two golden nuggets of advice that he's always remembered. Sir Alex Ferguson's got a maverick element about him. He's got a, he take a, he'll take a risk here and there. If I remember, I don't know if I've told you before, like Bayern Munich away, <clears throat> we were 1-0 up. Sir Alex Ferguson always said, you take a 1-0 all day away from home in the Champions League, knockout football, you take it, away goal, etc. But again, it goes back to that maverick in him, that risk element. He, he makes a substitution. I think he brought on Berber, um, Berbatov. He, he takes off two midfielders. He takes off two midfielders with, with about 20 minutes to go. Yeah, and I, and I was I, on the pitch. I'm screaming, going, whoa, what are you doing? What? I was like, obviously questioning his authority. Um, 
in, in, in my own way and I was going crazy. We ended up getting beat 2-1 um, and I coming down the, chain, the tunnel screaming my head off shouting going like and I remember Mark Van Bommel looking at me like he's seen a ghost thinking this guy's crazy and I get in a change room and I spang open the door and stuff going and then the manager's just unloads on me going crazy. You ever question my authority in front of the a stadium again or your teammates? Who do you think you are? Blah, blah. And I'm just going back at him arguing and I remember Gary Neville just holding me on his arm and just saying, Rio, just, just leave it. And I was like, no, this isn't that. He's told us we get a 1-0 victory away from him, we take it and he's done exactly the opposite. You go in and apologise to him the next day because Gary tells you, watch out. And, and Fergie says... I was going to sell you. Yeah, I went and apologised the next morning. I went and he, he went off again and went crazy and was he wasn't happy with what, how I'd gone about things. And with retrospect, I, I sit there and say that I should have waited until a quiet morning the next day and spoke to him. But emotion, you're getting caught up in the game and it means so much to us all. And I think that's one of the reasons why someone else, he may have sold them. But I think genuinely the manager knew that I, would, I was questioning his authority from a good place. It wasn't from an egotistical point of view or trying to make myself look better. I think Sir Alex Ferguson, because of being at Hampden Park in 1960, watching Real Madrid 7-3, having been, I, 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 I'm an Aberdeen supporter. I saw him win two trophies for us. De Stefano is the coach of Real Madrid when we beat them in the Cupman's Cup final. The romance, the need for him ego-wise, and ego's a good thing to be considered one of the European greats meant that he, he treated European football differently, and in my humble opinion he went to Rome saying, we'll, we'll play them, we'll play them we'll toe-to-toe them, we'll play front foot we'll win and we'll make a show of winning whereas if he's got Fletch and Hargreaves, then I think you can understand that point of view but his information, I don't know what you think, but I think there was a general perception that Thierry Henry won't play, it was true that Rafa Marquez was out that Danny Alves was out, that Eric Abidal was out. That was they played together. They played twenty six Champions League games that season. They were all missing. Savinho was at left back, Puyol at right back. Yaya Toure had played one game at centre half before that, and I think there was a perception not amongst you maybe, but amongst the, those who gathered the forward information about Barcelona. The shot, the shot will win this, and, and the gung ho attitude I think doesn't help you win. Yeah, I think that, that all of them elements you just mentioned there, I think probably played into the way that Sir Alex set our team up. The fact that he didn't have Fletcher and Owen Hargreaves to choose from, who had that defensive nous and discipline. So he had players in there that, that, that weren't as, as kind of good, for a better word, to say that in that area of discipline and defensive nous of how to work across the pitch and to cover areas. So why make them defend? Why don't we just go and attack and, and do what they're best at? Um, which then left us open. Um, but... Yeah, I think, I, I think one of our biggest mistakes as well was playing Rooney on the left and Cristiano down the middle because I look back at the training games that PK had against uh, against Rooney. Rooney used to absolutely bully PK in training. And I would think in my own mind that, that would be mental scars. You line up and Rooney's playing against him in a game. It would be very difficult for PK to erase those scars so quickly. Um, I think that was one big mistake and I think Rooney was more suited to playing against someone like PK and Cristiano was more suited to playing against someone like Puyol um, and I think we probably got that wrong um, but I do believe you're right in that the, the manager was he played into playing the way he did because of the way that things panned out their injuries our suspensions and in- injuries as well but I, I, I did question the manager on his tactics at this point. He asked me if I was happy with it, and I said, not really, boss. 
but I'll play the way you want us to play. Um, and that was it. And I, I, we were just too open. And I think, as I said to you, our, our best way of playing, our best when people look at our era, I think the, the game against away against Arsenal in the Champions League semi-final would be a great, in terms of transition, would be a great way to look at the goal against Bolton at Old Trafford when Cristiano Ronaldo sets up Rooney. It's all about transition and from deep areas, from, from low blocks or from a set piece even, but deep areas of the pitch where we're compact and we are solid, but we can have a spike edge where we can hurt teams on the, on the break from any distance from goal, we can do that. And we really went against that, what made us great at the time in the biggest game of the season where we're playing a high-press game, which isn't our natural instinct to do. We're not well-versed on it against a team who's playing at their best way of playing, which is passing the ball out from the back. So it, I just felt that we were just at a losing edge from the beginning, really, in that sense. If we score one of the two or three chances that we have in the first minutes, Sir Alex Ferguson's a genius, again. He's a genius anyway, but he's, a, he's even more of a genius. And, and I'm sure... If we score that early, we go back to, to, to we go back to type. I feel we win the game. This is all hypothetical, but I feel then we get over the line. We win the win the game, but we just didn't give ourselves the chance. We didn't finish. We wasn't clinical enough, and then we get punished. And then the tactics that we 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 had with the game is over at, at that that time. I think Charles Ferguson's right because once they go in front, we then can't get the ball off them we can't we don't have any effect on the game at all them two games are the most embarrassing they just take they just they took the soul out of us really the way that they played saying that the best club side ever without a shadow of a doubt they were phenomenal and and they just absolutely and it goes back to my point I said earlier about Barcelona we played in 2008 in the semi-final had some great individuals this team had even better individuals and an even better better standpoint from a tactical perspective. So it made it even, even harder. Why is it? How can it be then that after qualifying for 2011 at Wembley, thrashing Schalke in the semi-final, that the coaching team, and I mean by that the people that bring forward information to Sir Alex, the style of football that Pep Guardiola has established is, is still more clear. You must have watched a lot um, irrespective of not having played them in in 2010 slightly similar mistakes are made in that Wembley final there's a real similarity about I feel Sir Alex going out that day and saying okay we'll, we'll, we'll pay them back we'll teach them a lesson rather than how should we play them yeah and again tactically I didn't agree before the game as well like, it was weird I just I remember sitting with Nemanja Vidic and just think we were talking about it and like if we press them, they'll pick us off, they'll outnumber us in midfield, Messi drops in, and it played out that way because me and Vida really didn't have to lay a glove on Messi the whole game because he went and played in midfield for most of the game. He played away from us, and when he went away from us, the two wingers played really high and pinned our full-backs back and were running in behind me and me in between the full-back and the centre-back to keep me and Vida back as well. So to go into midfield would make it difficult um, and, and the way we set up tactically made us do stuff that was very much alien to all of us 
we were being asked to do things in the game that was never that never gets asked of us for the whole season beforehand. So that's why that's why tactically I was always like I don't because Barcelona at their best are doing and being asked to do things during this game that they've been asked all season. They're playing the exact way that they've played all season. They've not changed at all. And yes, great teams have to be adaptable, but adaptable doing plan A and plan B that you've worked on for a consistent amount of period of time. Not where you just, oh, this game, we're going to change this game for the Champions League final and then all of a sudden you've got to be great and because you're going to have to be great on this day against a great team, potentially the best team ever, you've got to be great at a new tactic, at new jobs, making split decisions in these new jobs on the money each time because you're playing against the best. It was big ass, man. It was just a big ass. And I, I just think I'd love to have seen in both finals the real Man United play against the real Barcelona teams and see how we get on them. We could have played 4-5-1. That When we win the ball, as always, it becomes a 4-3-3 because we were that quick with the ball and in our transition but it allowed us to be compact then and yeah we might get pinned back a fair bit but with the knowledge that we know we've got players on the counter-attack that could hurt them and that was always our, my belief in our team that we, the way we played that nine times out of ten we'd go out and play teams and we'd pass them off the park in the Premier League in the Champions League etc and then we'd play against some of the big teams who were great possession wise and we'd sacrifice possession sometimes and they'd have more percentage of the ball, but we were more clinical and we were more productive in terms of chances created and 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 then converting those chances. So to give ourselves the best chance, play the way we know best. That's the way that I fought, and it was just the way that we played. Just it allowed for so many more gaps, um, big spaces, um, and again. It, throughout the game it leaves you just questioning yourself throughout the game like how, how am I going to get near to Sanso how we whereas if we played the way we knew there aren't them questions then I know where I'm meant to be I know where he's meant to be you know, he knows where he's meant to be and then we're just all playing to the system that we know and we actually got us to this point of being a feared team but we were undone we were absolutely annihilated on the night and I remember standing on the pitch after with Giggsy and Scolzi and you're watching them get their trophy and just saying to each other, that's the most embarrassed I've ever been on a football pitch. It's actually embarrassing. It's just an embarrassment. And you're thinking, how many millions of people have watched that? And yes, they're a great team. And by the way, the worst summer I ever had, that was, probably. But we won the league. Crazy, huh? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com. 
seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. I knew who he was. And, and I, at the time, yeah, it wasn't a massive name. It wasn't a surprise. He'd been linked with a job. There was speculation that Rob yeah. was on borrowed time. So he was the name that kept coming up. With knowing Bay's success at Aberdeen. And any manager that, that walks in through the door, the first thing a player wants to do is a first impression and, and impress and, and hope he, he fancies you. What did you notice? What did you notice? You know, if you oh, think straight away, it, no, yeah. straight. There was an instant. Tell me we, our first away trip was uh, actually, funny enough, place where I ended up living, where I'd lived before in Epping, little post house hotel. We were playing West Ham. It was the sensible place to stay. It was near to yeah. Upton Park. It's not a great Gosh. hotel. It's still not a great hotel. But Manchester United stayed there because it was convenient. And the first night, the away trip was super melon. Chicken and steak. It was, <laughs> and there was a meeting time for dinner. Yeah. There was a meeting time, and you ate together. And a meeting for the next day. Yeah, um, we ate together, and everything was back to normal again. There was no, no meeting. Bar? No, no, no. No, they were empty. Training ground. What did you notice? Well, the treatment room overlooked the pitch as well. So yeah. for three days of the week, half the first thing would be watching training through the window. Mm. And then turn up on Thursday and Friday and play Saturday. So that changed. That treatment room cleared out because of a new manager. So everybody was miraculously recovered and fit and raring to go. And then instead of ambling around waiting for the manager to come out or players to, to come out and train, it was from day one. He, he read the rule book. What were the rules? Um, all the same rules that were Spurs and Coventry. Ah. So it was just normal procedure. Oh, yeah, exactly. The, the basic requirements that were expect, I, I thought were expected everywhere and probably were. It, it ends up not working for you to the extent that you're, you know, you're about to quit football. You know, big four. Yeah, I gave Fergie, up with the whole Manchester United thing. I, with Fergie, he gave me far more respect. He didn't buy. He wasn't the manager that bought me, but he gave me opportunities. And when I say I gave up, that's probably the wrong phrase. I'd lost faith in the project. I pretty soon after Sir Alex Ferguson took over, I was constantly on this list of players that he wanted out. And that was a reflection on him. It was just made up list from that carried on from when Rom was manager that the whole speculation always at United was who they were going to buy, who they were going to sell. Mm. And it, it was kind of... It, it destroyed your self-esteem to continue to see your name on the list with you know, 10, 12, a lot of players, but the same names on it all the time. And, and I kind of made up my mind that at the end of the season, it wasn't for me, even though I had more playing opportunities and scored a goal against Arsenal, uh, Old Trafford. So it kind of, but I have no complaints with how Stradix Ferguson treated me in his time, but it was, it was a lost cause. I was a lost cause. The whole Manchester United thing, for me, was a lost cause. And I, I needed to, to, to 
to get away. Oh, we fell out big time at the end. You for, lost for, it completely. For 24 too. hours. We had a game at Chesterfield in, for the reserves pre-season. I'd always sell my house. I was living in a hotel. I'd made up my mind I was leaving. I wanted to go, same as we talked about earlier, and play regular again. And we had a reserve game at Chesterfield, so my mind's all over the place. Wife and daughter have moved back down to London, waiting for me to get a move somewhere. And, and this game at Chesterfield, we actually got... It was a, playing their first team. So it's Chesterfield, uh, Chesterfield first team. It's Manchester United Reserves, young team. I think me and John Sieverbeck were the only two sort of senior players. Mm-hmm. And we got there late, stuck in traffic, literally 10, 15 minutes before kickoff. It's a full house at Saltergate, their stadium. 12,000, 15,000 people because it's rocking, it's ready to ready to turn And we were, I can't remember exactly, it was a 5-4 or a 4-3, but whatever it was, we were losing 3-0 or 4-0 after about half an hour. And what overturned it? And came back and won. Not and bad. So at half-time, we've had this horrendous journey, we got there late, straight onto the pitch, young team, first team opposition, men, senior players, and we came back, second half... Warmed up, we'd warmed up from the journey, got got our legs going, and, and ended up winning. And Fergie was there, and I thought it'd have been something that he would have really have liked. The so difficulty, the journey, glorious Fergie Man United feedback, and and he came in and he, he went berserk, and he said, "I want to see you all in my office first thing in the morning." And we went in, and he read the right act again, and said how what a disgrace we were to the club, the history. He really let rip, and I as John Sieberbeck, similar, exactly the same Danish as me. fullback. Yeah, Danish international Danish playing for, he was a terrific player as well. He, we signed the same day and left us pretty much the same day and we were treated exactly the same way. It was a, a weird situation. And John didn't say anything. Um, and I stood up and said my point and said that I thought we deserved, the younger players deserved credit, that, you know, explained for the how we got back. their late, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we went out to Amaranth and I told him shove his football up his arse and stormed out, slammed the door in front of all the other players and said that was the album's jacking it in. I go back to the hotel, ring Paul and my, my wife, tell her what's happened. She said, oh, Bobby Gould's rang you. So I said, oh, what did, what did he want? And he'd just take the Wimbledon job. So I'm thinking, what did he want? I'm thinking, please. <laughs> back in London. A bloke that likes me, yeah. who bought me at Coventry, treat me well got me playing well, had faith. So I said, what does he want? She went, I don't know, she, he's left a number. So I rang him and he said, do you fancy it? I said, oh, what? yes, yes I do. Yeah, of course I do. So I said, I was even going to ring you for advice because my head's coming off, I don't know what I'm doing. So he said, look, we know you know we can't pay you for a bit of negotiation. When he said, do you fancy it? I said, oh, well, make me an offer. I'm not United, Bob, yeah. but, yeah. you know, yeah. Wimbledon, um, come on. And, we spoke, and he said, how much do you think he wants? So I said, I don't Fergie. know. Fergie. I said, I've no idea. Don't know. So he said, all right, leave it with me. So I went in, the, and I was going to do this anyway. It wasn't because I, there was a chance that Wimbledon were going to buy me. I'd slept on it, and I went in the next morning, and I said, I got in there early. And, of course, he was there. And he said, um, would you want... So I said, I'm coming to apologise. I was out of yeah. order. But I still stand by what, we, <laughs> what I say... Um, and I'm not going to pack in football. So he said, oh, why that? I said, because I want to come and score against you and I want to win a trophy. <laughs> and I said, and so, lo and behold, the next year I'd scored two goals and knocked him out of the League Cup, <laughs> on the FA Cup. Um, and then he went to me, he said, OK, uh, Bobby Gould rang you. 
So I went, nine? Nine brew my teeth. <laughs> he must, he, he knew, and he went, but, swear on your daughter's life. And I went, I can't do that. He went, tell him I want 200 grand. offers that you asked about though they were not coaching but you've you very nearly ended up at Old Trafford as well as a footballer yeah Alec Ferguson had a, a a deal with Aberdeen that he wouldn't come back for me and Willie Miller when he left to go to Man United and I thought how no yeah you know <laughs> I says, I'm no happy with that deal <laughs> so he kind of stuck to his word a wee bit and he, he I think he, got, he was allowed to get Jim Leighton, but it, um, he, he also had a, an agreement with Aberdeen that, you remember, we Joe Miller, Joe Miller that, that went to Celtic. He, Joe's a kid and he always liked Joe and he said, look, if anything happens with Joe, let me know. If any clubs come in from, let me know as well. But Aberdeen sold him, sold him to Celtic, never consulted with Sir Alex. And he says, right, that's it, all bets are off, I'm coming for you. And so, in those days, no agents and stuff, you know, and it, it was difficult to kick managers' doors doing it the way that players do it these days with their agents, and it's pretty easy to get it on social media and get, get the word passed around that you want to leave. And um, I said, well, how am I going to do this to, to the boss, you know? And he said, right, well, what I'll do is I'll put a story in the papers on Sunday that Spurs want you. <laughs> <laughs> he says, and then you go and chop his door on Monday and say, all this speculation about Spurs has kind of, you know, unsettled me. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew, Sir Alex? Who knew? So, you know, on, and a little aside from that, a wee aside that I can tell you about as well, when I went to dinners in England, I met, you know, a few managers, Terry Neal, the ex-Arsenal manager, and I said, Terry, Alec McLeish, nice to meet you. I know who you are. I tried to buy you. He says, but I phoned this guy. I think you know who. <laughs> and he put the phone down. <laughs> and, and I've met about four or five managers, and I've seen, how you, you, did we know all about these things? But anyway, the Man United thing, he said that he started, he said, look, I'm, I'm going to get in in the act as well. Since Spurs are in for you, you know, I'm, I'm putting a bid into Aberdeen. And uh, that he, he thought legitimately that was the, you know, the, the bet, that he had, the agreement that he had with Aberdeen was nullified. So he tried a few offers and I think he got up as high as 900 grand or something. And then and they said they wanted 1.4 million, which was a lot of money in those days, nothing now. And uh, he says, Alec, listen, I, I, no budging. He says, I just can't go any further. And a couple of weeks later, they bought Gary Pallister for two million quid. And <laughs> <laughs> just covered it off. To be fair, fair Pallister was about eight years younger than me. I did everything to please Sarge Ferguson. He, he wanted to earn his well done mm. and you wanted to play for him you know you wanted to win for him you wanted to do everything for him because of with how much respect he treated you with how much he learned you and how much of a winner he was you know you were so you had a presence you were so overawed by him but at the same time feel like your father you know mm. he would flip between that 
between one minute you were like petrified and like oh my you know that sucks and you're a little bit cautious Mm -hmm. and then within two minutes you were chatting away to him as if he was like a member of your family and that was the same with everyone I'm not saying that because I'm Scottish that was the same with every player it's 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 so hard to put into words of how how influential he is and how what made him so special but I know for a fact that everyone was just wanted it for him more than themselves sometimes Mm -hmm. and he had that effect on you that he wanted to win for him and to please him and to be, for him to say well done was the ultimate compliment. Would, would that be right in steering? Because I've met him a lot over the years and I've listened to many, many players of different ages and a couple of different clubs talking about him. And while he's clearly a man for whom football is everything and he's soaked in the traditions of football and he's made football as a sport better, I'm always struck by the degree at which this it's this it's called man management, but it's more than that. It's the the human side, his decisions, how he can treat people when he chooses to, because he can also be brusque and ruthless. There's no getting away from that. But he can make people feel special. He can teach them. He can make them give more than they knew they were capable of doing. That's an ability he's got. Am I right? And secondly, that would have been transferable. I suspect to almost anything he chose to do. Yeah, he's a winner. You know, it, no matter what he chose to do, he'd, he, he would have succeeded and won it because you know he had just that inner drive and determination. It's, it, the other thing starts was you never knew you were going to get. You know, he could have the most simplest team talk where it was literally twenty thirty seconds, mm-hmm. or he could tell you an old story mm-hmm. and, and make you a hair stand up on the back of your neck. You could come in at half time where you've played great. And he could go absolutely mental. He could come in where you've played terrible and he's calm and he picks on one or two tactical things. But you didn't know what you were going to get. You know, you could walk in at 3-0 up. You could get one of the biggest bollockings of the season. Or you could walk in 1-0 down and he would be so calm and he would go to his tactical board and he would pick one or two tactics and calm everyone down and you'd go on to win the game. His team talks before Champions League games were something I'll, I'll never forget you know the, when it got to semi-finals finals quarter-finals how calm he was and the way he went into just tell a little story about something about maybe someone he'd met it's his famous one about the game of chess before about chess before the final in Moscow about his upbringing about our upbringing about anything and he'd just tell a story translate it to what we were about to experience and you just went onto that pitch, you're full of confidence, but also with, you know, your heart and your mind full of of, of things that he'd, he'd spoke to you about. There's maybe nothing new to be said about Alex Ferguson. What, what do you say about him? What, well, how do you I, describe him? It was an inspiration uh, to see him achieving what he did with uh, Manchester United. It was fantastic, and just from. Speaking to him, he was really willing to share. He, he taught me that uh, as a young manager, you think that if you work 24-7, you're doing the right thing. And if you have a spare minute, you need, just need to watch another videotape of opposite team that you're going to play, or you can think about a new training session. And he said to me, Luca, that's wrong. You need to take time to switch off, to recharge your batteries, uh, unwind, if you like. Take something up, play golf, singing lessons, mm. learn how to play piano. Piano for him. Uh, yeah. Because then you will be able to go back to the training ground, 
and be fresh enough to be able to analyse because being a football manager is all about analysing. Perfect. So, and the second thing is about handling the players, managing the players. And he said mm. to me, look, what we need is we want the players' trust and we want the, player, the players to believe in what we do and, and then our job becomes much easier. But he said to me, you cannot demand that unless you first give them your trust and your confidence. So it's actually the other way around. Mm-hmm. And you need to believe that your players are just fantastic and you need to sincerely believe that. Mm-hmm. And you believe in them, you've got confidence in them, you trust them, and then they will end up reciprocating those feelings. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true. Graham Hunter and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson.